Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. If you want to know more about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompounding.com, where you can read stock ideas written up by me and other members. Membership costs $60 a month, but if you use the promo code podcast, it'll be $50 a month for you. Andrew and I also manage accounts for investors. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. That's 469-207-5844. And now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. All right. Happy Wednesday. How is everybody doing out there today? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn. Thank you very much for tuning in with us here today at the Focus Compounding Podcast. Mr. Jeffrey Gannon, how's it going today? It's going great, Andrew. How's it going with you? It is going fantastic, as always. We hope it's going fantastic for everybody else. It's Wednesday, the middle of the week, Mm -hmm. and we are almost there. So thank you very much for tuning in with us here today. So a little housekeeping. Um, We said last show that we were going to have somebody on, I think, for this show. I think that's what I said. You said, oh, in the next couple of weeks. And I was like, no, I'm pretty sure next week. But we're going to have somebody on next week. We have a bunch of people lined up and a lot of interesting individuals. And a lot of people have been tweeting at us. And especially in the reviews on the podcast, people have liked who we have brought on. Mm -hmm. So we are listening and we're going to bring on more interesting people. All right. And I think it's a lot of fun to learn about other people's stories. Yes. So that is what we are going to do. Speaking of reviews, if you want to help us out, Feel free to leave us a rating review. And Jeff, you actually read something you said, right? Yeah. <laughs> you said if um, if they've subscribed to us via yeah, po- the podcast app, that'll yeah. also help sort that's of true. put us, I guess, on the map, if I you think will. That's right. Yeah, I think that's how the algorithm, yeah. the algorithm works. That's right. So if you like what we're doing, want to support us, that is the way to do it. So today we're going to be talking about Jeff worked or you wrote singular yeah. diligence articles f- how long ago? Uh, 2013 through 2016. Yeah, so like so good three years, and um, all the reports. There are 10,000 word reports in typical Jeff yeah. fashion, mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of notes with them, and and they pretty much would write up about an idea, whether they liked it or not, or actually you liked right. all the stocks technically, I guess, right? We liked them enough to pick them for that yeah. month. Yeah, yeah, and then you would, one a month, and yeah. then you would appraise them and sure. you know send them out or whatever one a month. Yeah, so we so, picked one stock a month. That's yeah. Correct, yeah, so we have all of those reports on the Focus Compounding website. Right, and if you become member you get instant access to all of those reports yes every report we're talking about today yes and um and if so yeah so if you want to have access to that you can sign up for the website yeah okay so the first stock we're going to be talking about is arc restaurants the ticker is arkr the current price is 23 dollars and five cents you wrote about it when it was 22 dollars and two cents and you appraised it as at 35 dollars and 89 cents okay so what do you remember about arc restaurants so ARC is an interesting uh, situation. So the company is, uh, what we talked about in the report is that it sort of has this lottery ticket, which is that it's part owner in the uh, Meadowlands, which is a racetrack in northern New Jersey, which has wanted to put in a casino in that location for a long time. Uh-huh. So it's it's like a 10%, a little bit more than that owner. And it also uh, has um, the rights, the, it has a full concession uh, for food and beverage there. Uh except for the fact that Hard Rock, which is a partner, can put in a Hard Rock uh, cafe there. So other than that, um, they would be able to do the food and beverage there, which would obviously be huge because it's a microcap company. Uh-huh. But that, like I said, is the lottery ticket part of it. The normal part of the business is just a bunch of individual restaurants that they have. At the time we wrote about it, it was mostly Las Vegas. It's a lot less Las Vegas now. Um, and so they're different, they're different um, locations that all run under uh, independent names. 
uh, and we talk about it there. They're usually large format restaurants. Um, so, you know, it was an attractive enough stock. I think it has over 4% dividend yield now. It probably had over 4% dividend yield back then. Do you remember? It's a micro cap, isn't it? It's a smaller mm-hmm. company. Yeah, it's a small company. Didn't we, we recently looked at it and because mm-hmm. there's some sort of, is there some sort of catalyst or something within the company with some sort of gambling rule or some change? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, the thing that picked up some people's attention was that sports betting is now allowed. Yeah. And that was actually a case involving New Jersey that, that made that happen on the state level. Um, and New Jersey had long wanted that to happen, but New Jersey had a referendum to allow gambling in uh, casino development in northern New Jersey, and that referendum failed. So it's still only legal to have casinos in Atlantic City. The referendum can be put on the ballot, I think, every two years or so. I think you can't put it on immediately afterwards. Um, so, you know, that's a big thing for them to have, and I think that attracts some people to the stock when they, they look at it. Uh-huh. Uh, but the main business that it has is just running these different um, restaurants around the country. And uh, they're now in a bunch of different locations. But uh, historically, when we wrote about it, it was mostly Atlantic City. Uh, some places in New York City, they had one in a museum. They had one uh, at a park, um, at Bryant Park. Um, they had, uh, um, like I said, mostly Las Vegas and Atlantic City. And the Atlantic City ones were, were doing badly, obviously. And the Las Vegas ones did poorly right after the uh, recession, you know, during the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. But since then, they did better. Um, but, you know... It's a pretty cheap stock. Um, it's not that leveraged. They now have bought outright some restaurants, so they now have debt on their balance sheet, but they own the land. Uh-huh. And those are some places um, in the south, like in Florida, they bought something. And, um, you know, it, it's an interesting enough stock. I think you could learn about it. It's fairly um, typical of a microcap type thing. Uh, it hasn't done that well as a stock for oh, 20 or, or more years now. Uh-huh. And I think that it has really hard problems growing because none of these are chains. Sure. Right? So it depends on the cap allocation and the management and whether you like it. So one of the things that Jeff does when he writes up a initial interest post at Focus Compounding mm-hmm. is you always sort of score it on Jeff's right. interest level. Okay. Right? So you do 0 to 100, and then if you're, let's say, 60% interested, right. you may look at it or something like that in the future, yeah. right? Yeah. So I guess maybe just for people listening, maybe we could, I guess, give your just sort of off the cuff how much sure. you would be interested in it today. Right now, today. So ARC Restaurants, what would your... Je- or your initial interest, I guess, be if you right. had to score it. Okay, so I'll do my initial interest like I do at the website, which is the percent chance I'd say that I'll follow up with it. There you Not go. Not that I'll buy it. Yeah. You know? But that I research it further. I'd say 50%, right? Okay. Now. Yeah. Alrighty. So I guess to quantify that for yeah. people, what does that mean? That mean you, in the future, you may look at it again? Or? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So anything under 50, you're probably not as interested? Yeah. Okay. That's probably true. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay, so the next stock we're going to be talking about, Babcock and Wilcox, which mm-hmm. is a stock that you reference quite frequently, I would say, yeah. on, the, on the podcast. Absolutely. Ticker BWXT. The current price is $59.81. You wrote about it when it was $27.15, and mm-hmm. you appraised it at $37.15. Okay, yes. And that company split off into two parts. One part is BWXT, and the other part is BW. BW, though, is worth like a dollar a share now. It's, it's I'd say, close to bankruptcy, possibly. Uh-huh. And what, I guess the market would say so, too, when what, it's a $1 stock. Yeah, but, what went into that business? Uh, the coal part of it, okay. so the power part of it, Got it. not just coal. Uh, BWXT is the nuclear part, so the nuclear operations uh, group and some other things related to that too. So, and, and now they've diversified into some other things too. They bought a company called Nordion, which does radioactive isotopes. They won a contract with NASA to 
do work on a planned uh, mission to Mars. NASA's planning mission to Mars many years from now. And uh, one of the plans, the possibilities for it would be to use um, nuclear power instead of chemical rockets, which is what they've used for all other space flights up to this point. Uh, but BWXT had already done some work on the possibility of space flight using nuclear power. They do all the nuclear reactors for submarines and um, aircraft carriers in the U.S. Navy. I'm going to call you Elon Musk, okay? <laughs> okay, cool. So um, where it's at today, would you mm -hmm. be interested in it? You actually recently only sold it, correct? That was yes, a stock that you I held did. for a very yeah. long time. No, no, I held yeah. the stock consistently up until the point when we uh, started doing the managing accounts yeah. and stuff, so I stopped holding things on my own like that. Uh -huh. yeah. So, And you thought it was obviously I wouldn't have sold good. it. I yeah. mean, I would have kept it just personally. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think your your interest would be in it if you had to score it today? Really high. Um, yeah. So so BWXT, I believe, is the widest smoke company I've ever seen. And you wrote about that in the yeah. article. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I'm just talking about the main things that they do, which is the uh, providing nuclear reactors and all related um, key components for uh, nuclear power for the um, uh, U.S. Navy's submarines and aircraft carriers both. Um, but in addition to that, they also do lots of other things which are similarly sort of an oligopoly at worst and a monopoly at best. Like so far, I believe they've been the only company, to my knowledge, I could be wrong about this, but in, ever to do down blending of uranium for the um, U.S. So the What's U.S. That? is a stockpile of highly enriched uranium, which is... Um, very highly enriched. And then you want to um, downblend the uranium to a point below what's considered weapons-grade uranium. So uranium that you wouldn't use in, in nuclear weapons anymore. Once you get it below that level, then you can put it back into commercial use and stuff. And the U.S. has had a program for a while um, that they've been involved with, which basically is taking apart um, nuclear weapons that the U.S. has and using the uranium for other things. But they also do other things like they've worked on um, the pits for nuclear weapons, which are really the... Um, Basically, it is the nuclear weapon. Um, a nuclear weapon is stored with separate parts so that uh, it won't work until that part is put in uh, and things like that. So basically, they're involved in all sorts of things having to do with nuclear weapons, nuclear energy, all sorts of things for the government, not civilian parts. They sold that part of their business off. This company decades ago did build a lot of the civilian nuclear reactors in the U.S., but they exited that business through a sale of it many years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. So your, your interest would be... If you had to, I guess, range it, what, would, what do you think? It's a very expensive stock. I was going to say, because, I mean, you may like the business, but as are we ranking this by if you actually like the company or if, if, if it's just actionable today? Yeah, it's a very expensive stock, yeah. but, but you know, it has a lot of growth possibilities for it um, over time. I, I would rank it probably right around 50%. Okay, 50%. but nonetheless, still a good company to study because you said it's one of the widest ones oh, you've I ever would, seen. I would, yeah. So, I mean, in terms of like if you have the time that you're not looking for an idea right now, I would definitely favor it way over um, ARC in terms of learning about it. Anyone who has never heard of this company at all should definitely um, do their best to like research it to understand it because like I said, it's the widest mode I know of in a, in a company. Got it. Cool. Next one, Bank of Hawaii. Yes. Ticker BOH. Yes. Current price is $76.03. Mm -hmm. You wrote about it when it was $73.99, mm -hmm. and you appraise it at $97.15. Yeah, this one's really exciting right now. Really? Why? Because yeah. rates or what? Well, the stock's come down a lot. I think it was $88 oh, wow. this year. Okay. And it's come down. A, there's been, you know, the market has had some stocks falling in it. The market in general has fallen a little bit recently. And what's interesting is you've had a bunch of um, banks like Bank of Hawaii and Frost that have actually come down a little bit in price right along with, you know, your FANG stocks and things like that, too. Um, and it doesn't make much sense because if interest rates are going higher, that's good for these banks, sure. which pay yeah. almost nothing for deposits. Bank of Hawaii is one of my favorite banks right there with Frost. 
just in terms of the deposit base that they have. Um, when we talked about banks with Nate, he talked a little bit about um, how good it is to have uh, business customers yeah. like Frost has uh-huh. um, because they take out loans from uh, the bank, but they also leave a lot of that money in deposits with the bank and they get paid very little on it. And Bank of Hawaii has a meaningful part of the business that is with um, businesses on Hawaii. And then they also have um, a part that's consumer. Uh, Hawaii has a very consolidated banking industry. Bank of Hawaii is the second largest bank uh, in the state, and it has probably about 32% deposit share. I'd say the top two banks probably each have about a third, and then the two after that add up to over 90%. So four banks basically have all of the deposits there. And most big national banks um, that you're used to hearing about you know, the Bank of America and the Wells yeah. Fargo and uh-huh. Chase and stuff, they're not really there. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I think you spoke about that before on a podcast. I think you mentioned yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they're very interesting that way. And, um, the, the dividend yield on Bank of Hawaii now is about the same as the 30 year treasury. Oh, wow. Which is really interesting because that's going to go up. Bank of Hawaii buys back stock a lot. They've returned, I think they've said $2 billion or something. Since they uh, started the program, I forget, 15 years or more ago. Um, and the stock's only, I don't know, a $3 billion market cap or something now. Mm-hmm. So they've returned, you know, half the value of the of the company or something over time during that time. So they've returned a huge amount, dividends plus buybacks. Wow. Um, so, and they'll continue to do that. So I just think that if you buy it today, you have something that over a long period of time will um, give you pretty good returns. Interesting. Cool. Interest level at today's prices? Especially with rates rising, eighty percent. Wow. Yeah. There you go, folks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's like there's a lot of upside right now. Yeah. But this is something I would love to own versus the market. If the market doesn't do well the next five years or something, this sure. is something that that's attractive that way, definitely. Why would someone own that over like a J.P. Morgan or a Wells Fargo? That's a very good question. I like Frost and Bank of Hawaii better yeah. than them because I can understand them really well. I feel compared okay. to those. I felt Wells Fargo is, is kind of hard to understand and and uh, and Chase is even harder. Do you like it also because it's, I guess, more concentrated? Yes. And like So like Hawaii or like Frost, yeah. for example, is like Fort Worth, Texas area. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And Frost, it's interesting because you were saying Fort Worth and stuff. Frost is actually pretty small in our area. You yeah. don't see it much. Yeah. But yeah. they're starting out in San Antonio. That's their biggest market and probably their smallest urban market is in the Dallas area. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. No, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, most people are not – if you think about your portfolio, it's not tied to higher interest rates being good. And it's not tied in any way to Hawaii. So I think it's a nice diversifier to own it. Sure. And, and most people listening to this don't have any of their future tied to Texas either. So Frost is a you know an acceptable one the same way. Cool. So 80%. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Awesome. Next one, Breeze Eastern. We actually did a whole podcast on this a long time ago. Yeah, this one is uh, not an actionable idea. No, it's not. But, but we can still chat about it. Yeah, we will. Um, ticker was BZC. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Bridget Zelda um colin <laughs> current price na because it's not uh not yeah. currently a stock that's public um you wrote about it at eleven dollars and 38 cents and you praised it at fifteen dollars and two cents and it got taken over by transdime at yeah. nineteen dollars and 61 cents there you go um that's me clapping and, and some people were not happy with that uh, let me make sure there we go they could hear yeah, it yeah some people weren't happy with that price either oh i remember a lot of people yeah. were kind of ticked off that thinking that wasn't there something weird that happened like with management was going, I don't know. There's a lot of people were upset that at that price. Yeah. Well, if you read the proxies, um, uh, the merger, the the background of the deal and that sort of thing, they include in that projections for the next few years. Yeah. And I think part of that is that if you look at their projections for the next few years to value the company, that was projections that the management wasn't putting out before. That's not unusual. Um, so, like when they did the fairness opinion and stuff, uh, you see this projection, but management hadn't really talked that much about 
how good the future would be. Yeah, and it um, was a business, if I remember right, no debt. No. Um, we've we talked about the mm-hmm. helicopter rescue hoist company. Yeah, yeah, it was we kind of like a razor and blade. Yeah, so like a razor and blade type business. To that one. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. and and is a micro cap small under hundred million? Or no, it was actually it was under five hundred million for sure. Yeah, I think yeah, it was like a hundred something, mm-hmm. a couple hundred. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, and um, yeah, it was, it's a really good uh, business. It, um, uh, like you said, razor and blade business. So you they usually made about thirty percent gross margins, or, or maybe even worse. On the uh, on the original equipment that they sold, and that <laughs> is that me or you? <laughs> That's me. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, and um... got the cough button. Should we just keep rolling with it, or should I cut it out? <laughs> Let's see. Maybe I'll just keep it going. It'll be funny. We're only human, right? <laughs> <laughs> We've got a lot out of this already. That's all right. Okay. Um, and, uh, so it probably makes 30% or so on the, on the original equipment and then it, the parts and services, it would make over 60% gross margins. Yeah. So it's a really attractive business that way. Like, uh, we said, it's basically a duopoly or even better than that because basically no one would switch from, it was pretty much like a legalized monopoly Yeah. Yeah. from one uh, provider to the other on that. So, um, and then, you know, Transdime may have done fine buying it because it's the kind of thing, um, that you could buy and increase the price a lot Mm -hmm. and they may have done that. We don't know. Got it. And obviously it's not public, so there's no mm-hmm. um, interest there, but it's a good company for people to study. And you did write up a bunch of articles about it. I think on, obviously there's some on um, focused compounding and guru Fo- or seeking alpha. If I seen you write an article on there, where else did you put an article on this company? Uh, I want to say seeking alpha that or guru focus. Definitely. Okay. One of those. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. So it definitely one that you can uh, read the board if you want to, but also you can go back and listen to our podcast episode on it. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Okay. Next one. America's car Mart. I think you'd actually, you've tweeted about this company a couple times. Yeah. Back I've, in the good old days when you're on Twitter and the um, ticker CRMT, um, it's current price is $73 and 38 cents. You wrote about it at $38 and 37 cents and you appraise it at $68 and 46 cents. Again, nice mm-hmm. job. Okay. And, that, <laughs> and that one is a, um, I wrote up again on focus compounding too. I revisited yes. it. So there's a couple I've revisited that we'll get to. And that is one of them. Um, and I revisited that. I think it got down to about the same price or uh, that it had been originally, or maybe even lower, um, only a year and a half ago or something. So when you're talking about the price increase, that's in the last, I don't know if you have a chart in front of you, but I think it's in the last 18 months or so that all that price increases. Oh, wow. Yeah. So America's Car Mart is tied to subprime um, car loans. It is a what's called like a buy here, pay here, um, uh, a used car lot. Um, and it uh, usually, I'd say around 5% down payment um, that it gets from customers, and then it charges about a 15% interest rate. Uh-huh. Uh, and they're all uh, subprime to the point that the company doesn't really use FICO scores or anything like that. Does that worry you about the business at all? No. I mean, the company has um, normally has a provision for loan losses of 25% uh-huh. per year. So, um, it's it, yeah. I mean, it, it has a huge number of defaults and things like that. I'm not as worried, actually, about them in subprime as I am with some of the competitors who in theory, are making somewhat safer loans but have really been taking customers away from CarMart. CarMart's been seeing um, lower uh, sales levels at their lots and stuff, and it's because of competition from loose lending standards at companies that normally don't target that kind of um, customer. Uh And so they've lost some of their customers, which are obviously very poor people um, that would be going to those lots. Um, And, you know, uh, it's the stock has not done as well as, like, um, 
uh, credit acceptance or something like that, which sure. is, I think, a more popular one. Um, but it's the same sort of group of um, sorts of risks that they'd be taking. Credit acceptance does it very differently and is a totally different business, but is taking the same sorts of risks as Carmart. Uh, I like Carmart better because I feel that I understand the business better, um, and I feel that they have... Uh, they're creating the loans themselves because the loan is being created as a sale on their lots. Sure. And then, um, and then they have responsibility the, um, in terms of payments for, for uh, bonuses and things like that. They're tied to the performance of the loans. And um, something like credit acceptance is a little bit different story because um, the dealers that aren't with the company, they're customers of the company really, um, are creating those loans in the first place. So there's a little bit difference in incentives, although credit acceptance tries to align incentives better than most people in the industry do. Got it. And what would your interest level be on the company? Uh, <laughs> well, to be honest, my interest level in the company right now would be incredibly low. Why is that? Because I'm not. I don't want to buy any subprime auto right now. Is that because of where we are in the cycle yeah i've said that a couple of years ago yeah. i said that it started to be the worst subprime loans i think were ever made uh-huh. and i think that's uh, subprime car loans yeah sure made. yeah and i think for the last two years maybe even a little bit longer maybe two and a half years or so um the loans that have been being made are are the most likely to go bad um like if you look at credit acceptance for instance you look at um what their um their expected um Recoveries are uh, for their loans. So credit acceptance has a very different way of accounting for it where they um, don't tell you how much they lose each um, year on loans. They instead tell you how much out of like a pool of loans they expect to actually um, recover. So Uh if they're owed 100%, then they say how much, how close they come to collecting 100%. Lately, they've been saying they're going to collect like 65% or something, which they say is okay from their business perspective because of how they handle things. However, that's one of the worst that they've had in over 10 years. And this is in an environment economically where unemployment is virtually nothing. Um, it's just that means that the quality of the loans in the last few years just have to have been really, really poor. Sure. Putting a lot of people in, in cars that otherwise wouldn't be. Got it. So you would not be interested in that? I'd say 20%. 20%. So that's not interested. <laughs> okay, next one. Commerce Bank Shares. Uh, okay. CBSH is the ticker. Current price is $61.49. You wrote about it when it was $48.50, and you praise it at $69.91. Okay. So this is similar to some of the other banks that we talked about, um, Frost and Bank of Hawaii. Um, it's a regional bank. Uh, it's also... A, Where at? Uh, so it's in the St. Louis area. Um, the company... So there's actually two banks that different parts of the same family control or... Uh, well, yeah, they run them, um, and it's the Kemper family. And so one uh, is um, Commerce, and also there's another stock that's associated with this bank, which might be interesting to people who are interested in, in over-the-counter market uh, stuff, which uh, you can look up and, and find that one. And uh, that just owns properties and things that were associated with the bank originally. What company? Investing. I believe it's called it's called Tower Properties. You can look it up. It's a very expensive stock. So if if you find, I mean, I forget uh, I, the share price. I mean, is very high uh-huh. and very very illiquid. I think it's called Tower Properties. So I could be wrong about that. Um, but it's the same uh, group of people who are associated with the bank. And like I said, there's another bank in the same uh, Missouri area that is um, a different branch of the same family that founded those two banks. I don't know, four generations ago or something. Oh wow, yeah. Uh, it's probably of the banks that we covered, maybe my fifth 
favorite, and we did five banks. Got it. So you'd obviously probably rather own Bank of Hawaii or Frost over that one? Yeah, definitely. Got it. So your interest level would be 20% again? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's something like that, yeah. Got it. So write that one off. <laughs> Let's talk about one that you do like. Okay. Frost. Ticker, yeah. CFR. Current price, $94.81. You wrote about it when it was $61.77, and you appraised it at $141.36. So yeah, pretty far it, away. $47 for myself. Oh, really? Okay. It dropped after we wrote the port. And you recently only sold it again because of the managed accounts. Of the managed accounts. Yep. Yeah. So I would still own it to this day if it wasn't for that. Okay. So would you rather own Frost or Bank of Hawaii? Frost. Okay. You wouldn't do like a both type no. of thing? So why, why is <laughs> Just that? Frost. I like Frost the best. Why? Uh, it's in Texas, uh-huh. which I just think as an economy is going to grow faster than Hawaii. Um, it still has some places in Texas that it's not big in yet. And, um, you know, I, I just, I like the bank a lot. Um, I, I, there's a few other things about it that I like a little bit better than Bank of Hawaii. Capital allocation, though, at Bank of Hawaii, they do buy back the stock and things like that. But I just think their growth is likely to be um, lower. What do they do with, what does Frost do with the, their capital allocation dividend or... Yeah, so it'll just be a dividend back to you, um, and then they grow. Historically, they grew fast enough that, that um, they didn't have much capital beyond the dividend to pay out. How did you even come across it to study, I guess, like what drew you to the company? Was it because you just recognized the name because of being in Texas, or what? Uh, it was a weird thing. What had happened was someone that I knew uh, had, not long after the financial crisis, said that their um, uh, sister, I guess it was, um, was going to take all of her money out of the bank and put it under her mattress. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, take it all out of Frost? So they wa- no, 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 not okay. Frost. They're yeah. a completely different part of the country and stuff. And um, they asked me to recommend what I thought would be one of the safest uh, banks to put in. And I was like, well, it doesn't really matter because they're FDIC insured, so if you don't go over the limits of that, it's yeah. not going to matter to you, whatever. Um, but when they asked about you know a safe bank that way, I looked around and I did say that um, – that one name that jumped out at me that way was Frost. Um, Frost is funded almost entirely with deposits and the, their, their customer deposits that are likely to stay in place even in a panic or something. And uh, the, the, that's the side that I pay a lot of attention to with banks. I really don't pay a lot of attention to the um, loan side, the asset side, and what the yields are and stuff. Frost isn't very aggressive that way. Um, half of their um, assets, when we wrote about it and, and since then, have been in some form of state of Texas um, bonds, basically. Oh, wow. uh-huh. Yeah, and the other half is um, uh, loans that are pretty um, not very high yielding loans. Uh-huh. Yeah, but their cost of, of funding all that stuff is so cheap that um, any sorts of um, you know yield that they can get can turn into a lot of profit. Cool. And a nice little plug for our friend. If you're looking for bank information, go talk to Nate Tobin. Yeah, definitely. That is right. Yeah. Cool. And what would your current interest level be? Especially, I mean, what are your thoughts, I guess, on rates rising first, like with Fossil? I mean, with um, Frost. Sorry, uh, Snack Stock. So um, uh, when I wrote about it, I expected that uh, the f- we just modeled the idea of 3% Fed funds rate. Uh-huh. Um, I think normally it'd be three to four would be sort of average. And we just assume that it won't be less than three. And it was interesting because you've talked about, so obviously you don't really take macro opinions, but you said you do when it's an extreme, right? So the the Fed, the time I wrote that, the Fed funds rate was actually between zero and 0.25. Yeah. So all you, your sort of simple way of looking at it is, is it going to be higher in the future? In five, I said five years, it'll be 3%. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So that was your way of looking at it. So what would your, what would your initial, your interest be? 
of that stock today. 100%. Especially because, like I said, you appraised it at $141.36. Would that be higher today if you little bit, although it? they haven't added a lot to deposits, uh, but actually it would be higher because of the tax rate reduction. Oh, yeah. So there you go. Good stock for people to study. So the next one, which I talked about, Fossil, mm-hmm. um, F O S L is the ticker. Yeah. Current price nineteen dollars and seventy six cents. Okay. You wrote about it at thirty dollars and sixty nine cents. Yeah. And you appraised it at eighty two dollars and seventy two cents. Yes. And this stock went down very low. I don't know if you have a chart. That yeah, I remember it was a volatile one. Yeah. Yeah. They have a lot so of leverage. And I think stuff. Fossil was in some ways. Mm, I don't know if it was the riskiest stock we ever picked, but it was definitely the business that I felt was most. Um, at risk for competition things. And Which, stuff. in your defense, I think you kind of talked about that in the in the write up, right? Like that it was a oh, riskier, yeah, riskier, riskier company. Yeah, and yeah. in fact, at the conclusion, I say that you should only buy Fossil if you also buy Movado. Movado uh-huh. was a much safer stock at the time than Fossil. Um, Fossil was a popular like growth at a reasonable price stock. Exposed to a lot of fashion risk, though. At the time we wrote about it, Michael Kors was the biggest um, license that they had. You wear a watch? Uh, no, I do not. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> um, and. Uh, and like I said, a lot of a lot of fashion related things. Um, cheaper watches. They they didn't sell um, any more expensive watches. So it was a lot of fashion stuff. Um, a little more geared to women than most watch companies. Um, and uh, women tend to buy more watches at lower prices and switch them out more. And so more fashion uh, driven. Uh, luxury watches tend to be aimed more at men. They buy fewer watches. They're more expensive, and they don't change taste that way. Was the Apple Watch available when you wrote about Fossil? Yeah, I don't think the Apple Watch had much of an effect no. on, on Fossil. Um, that, yeah, we talked about it. It was a big concern that people had that, sure. that Apple Watch. I don't remember if it, we knew it was coming out or it was already widely available at the time. Yeah. I don't remember. But, um, yeah, but that's one of the concerns that people had about it with watch companies. Um, I don't know that that was as big an issue as just like fashion risk and things like that. It has incredible leverage because they operate their own stores. Mm -hmm. Um, Of the three watch companies, to be honest, it was always my least favorite. The three that we profiled, which we'll talk about. Sure. So which would your interest level be today? Oh, 0%. Yeah, I figured that was was it, but I wanted to ask. (laughs) Okay, cool. So another stock, which actually we recently sort of talked about, HomeServe, um, ticker HSV. You, its current price is eight hundred ninety-eight pence. If I'm correct, right? Is that what okay? It, yep. Yeah, that's pence. And you wrote about it when it was two hundred and ninety-eight pence. Yes. And you appraise it at three hundred and forty-six pence. So my appraisal was really close to the stock price. Well, no, yeah, <laughs> stock yeah. price is three times the appraisal. Yeah, yeah. And the stock price, I think, went to about a thousand, which is would be a pound. Yeah. Um. Uh. So pretty quickly. Yeah. So what do they do? So HomeServe is the clo- the closest thing in the U.S. to HomeServe is Front Door. Yes. Okay. So Front Door does home warranty. It was a Front Door is a recent spinoff from Service Master. It does home warranty uh, insurance in the U.S. Um, HomeServe started out in the U.K. I think it was originally a spinoff of um, their uh, utility there, um, but it did uh, it does. Um, uh, warranties that have to do mostly with plumbing things, so insurance that has to do with that. So repair, um, they, you pay uh, premiums each month, and then you get basically uh, that gives you coverage for when you have um, a leak or something for the the visit from the plumber, basically that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, it does a little bit more than that, but what I'm saying is basically close to what it is. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about it is that they have high renewal rates and stuff because they. Uh, do co-marketing things they like to do with with utilities so that they get put right on the bill. So what's actually happening as far as a customer, usually, it's not a direct business that much. What's happening is you are um, a homeowner in some place, and your water company tells you for $5 extra, we can add this coverage. You say, okay, I opt in. And then it just adds $5 to your water bill each month. 
Now, most people's water bill is fluctuating by $5 kind of randomly anyway. Sure, yeah. People don't even notice it. It's just there. It's part of the water bill. They pay it that same way. And they have this extra peace of mind or whatever, especially older people who's, who's a lot of what they target. At the time that we wrote about it, it had a huge um, sort of uh, marketing issue that had to do with how aggressively they were marketing. Yeah, weren't they like cold calling or something yeah, like that? Yeah, and their outbound yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. And what happened with that? They paid a fine to the... Yeah. Um, to the um, watchdog there for that kind of thing in the UK. And um, we expected they grow faster in the US and stuff. I think it picked up more in the UK than we expected Yeah, right away. But uh, it's obviously has nearly infinite returns on capital, great business, and front door is a good business for people to look at in the US right now. Cool. So look at both of them. Yeah, so what would your interest level in HomeServe be at this price point? 50%. And you'd say probably just look at front door instead? Yeah, although I'd look at both of them in, in, together. Cool. There's a huge runway for growth for home server in the U.S. There's sure. so many water utilities in the U.S. and they could really grow that. They have a pretty good <clears throat> business in uh, France with water utilities. So if they manage to sign up a lot of them, yeah, it's attractive. Do it right. Cool. Next stock, Hunter Douglas, ticker yes. HDG. That's Howard Dog um, Giraffe. Current price, $44.07. You wrote about it at $38.63 and you appraised it at $100.66. Uh, okay. I think that's right. Uh, the stock actually trades in euros, but I appraised it in dollars. So I'm not sure about that. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it trades in the Netherlands, um, uh, in euros. Uh-huh. And, um, I may have translated the amounts into dollars. The company actually uh, reports its earnings in dollars, Okay, but the stock is in the Netherlands, um, and, uh, trades in euros. So you have to be careful when doing the, um, the translation there. sure yeah uh, probably half the business or more of the profit comes in the form of dollars because they're big in the u.s uh-huh and they make blinds correct yeah shades and blinds and what did you like about that company oh uh, they're the dominant shades and blinds company uh worldwide um i've, I've actually there. saw them in um nebraska furniture mart recently yeah i was there like a couple weeks ago and i saw that they had yeah. hunter douglas higher i was like end. ah there's the company that jeff Forrest talks about yeah they're higher end um um, dealers really like them yeah. because they can make more money off of them. Basically, they're the only company in that sort of industry that spends a lot on um, uh, R&D and marketing. Most of the other companies just like say, and now they did an acquisition since I wrote about them. So they probably have by dollar volume over 50% of the market share in the U.S. Wow. Yeah. But um, other companies like just try to do cheaper supplying through like big box stores or something through like Home Depot and stuff. And uh, this is really the only company in Shades and Blinds that spends a ton of money on marketing and R&D or spends really any money on marketing and R&D building the brand. Got it. Cool. So what would your initial or your interest level be today? Uh, my interest level today would be um, I, it's not going to grow that quickly, um, but it is really an attractive business. Um, has a nice wide mode. I don't know. Let's say 50%. Got it. Cool. Next one, Lifetime Fitness. We've talked about that one a lot. Um, LTM current price is well. Actually, they got taken over, yeah, got right? Taken over. So I guess it doesn't matter. But <laughs> you wrote about it at um, let's see, forty eight dollars and fifty one cents, and you appraise it at seventy nine dollars and sixty nine cents. Do you know where it got taken over? At? No, I don't know where it got taken. It got taken over fast though. So. Yeah, because I remember Mc- that happened with Breezy's turn too, actually. But yeah. Uh huh. What do you like about Lifetime Fitness? Uh, Lifetime Fitness, I just thought had the best gyms in the U.S. Um, they cross sell a lot, um, so the thing that people don't like about them is kind of aggressive marketing inside their places. So they will annoy you trying to like cross sell. Yeah, I used to go there, there, and they're yeah. always there. Yeah, yeah, but it was it was a lot of fun. Um, I, lo- I love Lifetime. I think th- so. I just looked it up. They got seventy two dollars and ten cents per share. Okay. So you wrote about it at forty eight dollars, and you appraised it seventy nine dollars. Right. So, so there, there you go, go man. Over for Look at that. Time. 
Um, Pretty close. Uh, yeah, and so they get the most <laughs> revenue per customer. Um, they tend probably a little bit more, other than the marketing part of it, people do like it more than other gyms. They they tend to get less money from like having locked people into sure. some sort of thing or something yeah. like some of them do. Um, and, uh, you know, they're really big and they, they usually own the place and they built it themselves. At the time we wrote about it there, they really had very few mortgages on their property. So they were very under leveraged compared to most gyms. Most gyms, uh, lease the property and they would build these large properties with, um, parking lots all around them and, you know, open all hours of the day and all that stuff and put a lot of money into it and stuff. So, um, the value of that land was, was pretty high Yeah, and it was, you know, um, that was a big part of it was just how under leveraged they were. Cool. So obviously there's no interest level there because they got taken over. Yep. Next one, Luxottica, mm-hmm. ticker LUX, current this, price 63.40 uh, euros. Okay. You wrote about it when it was 43 euros and you appraise it at 52 euros. Okay. So this is a company that is merged with Essilor now. So uh, in the future, it's going to be a completely different company. So Essilor is the biggest um, lens, uh, glasses lens company in the world, and Luxottica is the ba- biggest glasses frames company in the yes. world. They're both very big, um, with most other competitors nowhere near their size, do, don't really do a lot of R&D, don't really do a lot of um, a lot of those things. Essilor is a French company, Luxottica is an Italian company. Um, so that was an exit strategy, that merger for the founder of the company, who, for reasons we get into in the um, report, did not want to hand over the company to the next generation. Of his family, yeah. Why is that? I don't know exactly. <laughs> um, he they will don't want to pass the baton. They will have. Um, they'll be rich because of it. Yeah, sure. They'll own a lot of it, but they won't be involved in the management. Uh, there was once one of them involved in the management, uh, and they and he left and actually left and did successfully um, running a different uh, company in the U.S. Another really? public company. What, yeah, do you know what it was? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what was uh, the company? <laughs> What? Oh, uh, the company is a retailer. Um, I don't remember oh. all the details about. Uh, I don't remember. It was an L, started. I guess it's an LBO. I don't remember all the details about it. It's in the report. Yeah, sure. Um, but uh, yeah. So it just. I well, he was difficult to work with. The the, the founder. Really? Yeah. So that usually drives a lot to- of. Uh, I guess he sort of tried to retire a few times and stuff, but that's not unheard of. That happened once at um, Nike, where the founder came back, right? Steve Jobs. Um, yeah. Well, that was a different, that was, yeah. <laughs> a lot yeah. I mean, Luxottic was continuously successful and, uh, some, some very successful CEOs decided not to stay. Yeah. Sure. There long term. Anyway, so Luxottic Astelor, it's a very, it will be a very, very wide mode company. Um, I was impressed that it didn't have any, uh, that it was able to get through antitrust things and stuff. So, um, because we had thought, I mean, when we wrote about it, there was rumors that that was going to happen, that there was going to be that merger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we said, I don't know if that is going to happen, if they'd agree on the price and stuff. And also, um, the antitrust stuff would be tough on that. But, you know, it worked out. So what the int- what would the interest level be? Uh, I don't know about like the, the new company. price and stuff. Yeah, no, the interest level I, um, in terms of one day and stuff. I don't know. I Like I said, the price for right now... <sighs> It was an expense. It's one of the most expensive stocks we ever wrote up. Probably the most expensive we ever wrote up. Um, to give you some idea, Luxottica owns um, Ray Ban and Oakley. Okay. Uh, they own Sunglasses Hut. Okay. Uh, they own Lens Crafters. These are all great brands. Yeah. Yeah, but not only that. What are the other brands? Sure. Yeah. If you go into a mall, what's the biggest um, uh, optical store there? 
It's like lens crafters, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, if you go to like a mall right here, what are, there's a Oakley directly across from a Ray-Ban. Sure. Here. If you go into any airport, like they operate so many of those yeah. things. Um, yeah, and they have, if I went through the licenses that they have, all the big fashion licenses or a lot of them are with them. So you think, oh, you know, um, whether it, you know, it depends... I could easily forget which ones are theirs and which ones are their competitors. But if you go into a glasses place and you think, oh, I'm choosing between Prada and Guess yeah. and uh, Tom Ford and whatever. No, you're not. There, There's only a couple companies that make all those frames for them. <laughs> you're so fashionable. <laughs> so um, anyway, so it, yeah, it's a, look, the mode is incredibly wide. It has a huge future. Um, around the rest of the world and stuff, I think um, I would recommend that everyone look at it. But in terms of the price and stuff today, I don't know. I'll say seventy percent interest. Cool. But everyone should read about, it, especially if you know you have a merger between Essilor and uh, Luxottica. Good, good. Next one, Movado ticker M O V. Mm-hmm. Current price thirty seven dollars and sixty eight cents. You wrote about it at twenty seven dollars and two cents, and you appraise it at thirty seven dollars and ninety four cents. There you go. Okay, so Movado is the most boring of the watch companies. Um, it had a lot of cash, no debt when we looked at it. Um, the, the Movado brand is a good brand, but other than that, they don't, they don't have a lot. They also, um, are a much smaller, um, licensed brand business compared to something like Fossil. So Fossil has all the advantages in terms of scale and things like that. Um, but both Fossil and Movado, I think their biggest problem is that they sell so much through things like department stores. Mm-hmm. So if you go to a department store, that's where, where so many watches are sold of the kind that they have, like I said, like the licensed ones. So the, these licenses are for all sorts of different things, but like I said, like with uh, so not just the Fossil Mervado brand, which um, those companies have their own stores sometimes, but things like you know Kate Spade or whatever, right? Sure. So that kind of thing is often sold in like a, a Macy's or a Neiman Marcus or whatever at a watch counter area, which is really mostly these two companies. That's different from like Swiss watches, which can be sold through jewelry stores and stuff more. So I think the department store thing is such a hard part of this that I never liked these co- these watch companies that much. Um, if you want to read a blog value and opportunity, they did a whole series on watch companies. And I would read the, if you want to learn about the watch industry, you could read the three reports that we did on watch companies. But I think that um, Movado is usually pretty cheap. If you can get it at a really, really cheap price, it might be fine. Like like um, very close to book value or yeah. something like that, especially with having a lot of cash. Uh, it could immediately be acquired by Swatch or Fossil and the, the synergies that you would get would be tremendous, right? So it could be taken over. It's owned by family. Um, but uh, I mean, my own interest level, 10%, 20%, Why? really low. I don't like the watch industry that much in terms of the future for it. Because so similar to it sells to the fossil, stores. it sells to department stores. It's yeah. just a channel I don't really like. Got it. Cool. Next one, MSC Industrial Direct mm-hmm. ticker MSN. Yep. Current price is seventy nine dollars and sixty one cents. You wrote about it at seventy two dollars and four cent forty okay. cents. Excuse me, and you appraise it at ninety seven dollars and twenty seven cents. Yeah. So this is an MRO. What's that? Um, maintenance repair and over. Well, sometimes it's called maintenance repair and overhaul or maintenance repair and operations business, which is um, basically a distributor of all sorts of things that a um, business would need um, constantly that doesn't go directly into the product. So it's not supplying you with something for your product, but instead it's providing things that you need. Um, in their case, a lot of times on like the shop floor of a metalworking, um, um, like a machine shop. So they supply a lot to metalworking. That's their big thing. Um, but they're basically similar to Granger and some other companies like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the industry a lot. So the industry is becoming more and more technical with things being ordered through um, uh, automatically through online things or um, they're being supplied to you through inventory at like vending machines right on your um, 
property there. They do certain inventory control things for you. Um, it's just an industry that I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, in general, what's happening is that all sorts of um, companies tend to uh, be a certain site, let's say, like in this case, a metalworking a company, an actual uh, one particular plant. Um, might have a lot of different suppliers for all sorts of different things. Over time, because they buy um, some things that they care a lot about from for metalworking purposes from this company, if this company then also carries other things that you need, um, more basic things that you need from everything from things in your break room to um, safety things to whatever, you also buy those from them just so you can have fewer um, vendors that you're buying from. And what would your interest level be at it today? High, I don't know, sixty percent. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of right by where you wrote it. You wrote it at when it was at seventy two dollars and forty cents, and mm-hmm. it's currently at seventy nine dollars and sixty one cents. Yeah, not super cheap, um, but very. The stock seems to be very economically sensitive, so it over responds, I think, generally to the cycle because that does have an effect on it very short term. Sure. This company, because just because the companies that it serves are very cyclical. But in the long run, it, the cycle doesn't matter that much to it. So I would watch it, and if there's a recession or something, that could be a great time to buy into or a fear of recession. Cool. Next one, Omnicom, stock that we've talked about and referenced a lot on the show. We have talked about it before. Ticker, OMC, current price $76.03. You wrote about it at $84.74, and you appraise it at $95.20. Yeah, and I said on this pod, on a podcast we did about it that I would buy it at $65 a share. Yeah. I don't know that I would do that anymore. Um, uh, the... Advertising business has gotten harder and harder for advertising agencies, mostly because of um, things like Facebook and and Google, the uh, things like YouTube and um, Facebook, and um, that presents a problem. And we'll see what happens. Um, I don't know. Uh, so I'm pretty interested in the company. I would definitely consider buying it, like sixty five dollars a share or something. It buys back a huge amount of stock, and um, you should read the report. Ad agencies have historically been a great business. Um, but I think they'll have trouble growing and without growth, all that you get is really the buybacks and the dividends. Yeah. Um, but if you're buyback, if you're which free, is what they do a lot of. Yeah. But if the free cash flow and it gets to be 10%, right? So if your price to free cash flow is 10%, then that's fine. Just buy it. You don't need any growth. Sure. Give a 10% return without, um, any top line growth. So, uh, but the question is if it'll ever go negative in those things. And I don't know if it will or not. It's, it's a hard one to see. Um, but so what would your interest level be then today? Less than 70. 50. Oh, wow. Yeah. I thought you said, oh, okay. <laughs> then she just said that you wouldn't be interested in potentially buying it today? I would be, at $65, I would be less interested in buying it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah, you're yeah. talking about words. I got it. So at $65 per share, you'd still. You have to keep in mind that me buying it for myself, very few of these would I just be like, okay, I'll buy it. Today. Yeah. I said in an earlier podcast, if it got to 65, I would just buy it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. now I'm saying, I'm not necessarily recommending that to you. Now, if you have a portfolio of 30 stocks, yes. Sure. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think all the ad agencies are pretty cheap right now, but their growth is all very close to zero. But in terms of like versus other um, industries they could buy right now, I'm not sure that I could find something better than ad agencies because their free cash flow yields are so high Mm -hmm. and they're really predictable, you know, excellent businesses. So yeah, it would rank very high there. Yeah. Got it. Already. Cool. Well, we have eight more to go. Okay. Progressive, ticker. PGR, mm-hmm. current price, $69.44. You wrote about it at $26.86, and yeah. you appraised it at $34.59. Okay. So nice job again. Um, what do you like about Progressive, the insurance business? Yeah, Progressive is wonderful. It's it's basically like Geico. 
Um, so Progressive has two sides of the business. Um, one side is the agency business, which goes through independent agents, and it's very strong in that. started out on the um, non-standard risk side of things, which is the opposite of Geico. Geico starting the preferred risk side. So Geico had the best drivers in the country, and Progressive started with the worst drivers in the country. Progressive's economics are not as good as Geico because Progressive skews a little younger, um, a little more not married, and a little more um, uh, renting rather than owning a home. And because of that, they don't have bundles the way that uh, historically they haven't bundled the way that companies like Allstate and State Farm and stuff have where you bundle your homeowner's insurance with your auto insurance, which gets much higher renewal rates. If they can ever change that, if they can get their renewal rates up to the levels of those kinds of companies, then you'd see a repricing of the stock and stuff to be really good. Because if you go from like an 80% uh, retention rate in an insurer like this to a 90-some percent retention rate, that really would look great in terms of the company-wide financials. Um, it's amazing how much an improvement in renewal rates that high would be. Wow. Because so, so much of it is the marketing and the cost of the customer acquisition. Like Geico, sure. for instance, Buffett's been up front that they spend way more than what they can make back in a year from the customer. Yeah, because they're counting on it being very high. And Geico, in some of its businesses, has very high retention rates. So, What would your interest level be? Uh, my interest level, to be honest, would be higher now. So Progressive is an interesting one because why we picked it is that um, Progressive, unlike most insurers who I didn't want to touch, um, it, Progressive kept all of its money basically in very short-term bonds, like super short-term. Basically, it was like keeping money in the bank. Okay. And, I mean, they have a huge portfolio, obviously. This is a big insurer. Sure, yeah. So most insurers were going out several years. And even the ones who were saying that were being really conservative and stuff were going out and buying five- to seven-year bonds. And then on average, their portfolio was half of that or whatever, you know, over time. And so you were talking about a duration on them that was in the three-, four-, five-year range, okay? Progressive kept really short, like we're talking one year and less. And so it was really under-earning, and with higher interest rates, it would make more money. So that's very different from other insurers. So that's what was exciting about it. On the flip side, I my biggest concern was self-driving cars. And uh, I turned out to be completely wrong uh, in that, in that I way overestimated the possible risk of self-driving cars, and I way underestimated the increase in accident uh, frequencies caused by texting and things like that. And so instead of me being concerned that the future might have less accidents and stuff, it turns out that it has a lot more. Wow. And I also made that same misjudgment sort of thing with Copart where I was looking at it, I was like, oh, are there, you know, will the frequencies of different accidents stuff slow down? And the truth is that instead of a lot of technology recently, so for a long time, technology was making cars a lot safer. Sure. But it was doing it quietly without any buzz about it and stuff. So throughout the last 15 years or so it had been happening and you'd heard no talk about autonomous cars, but all these little things about the car were getting safer and safer incrementally. And so while there was more totaling of cars when there were accidents, accident frequency was coming down. Progressive consistently overestimated how much there would be in terms of accidents. Their combined ratio was great, but their growth was pretty low because they always were too conservative about how uh, they always expect more accidents than they really were basically. Um, and then uh, that's changed, uh, and I would say that I probably put too much focus on self-driving cars. And as it's turned out, um, so knowing what you know then today, what is your what are your thoughts for I the guess future with self-driving cars? I guess I would appraise it higher. Okay, and what are your thoughts are for autonomous vehicles? The future for autonomous vehicles is, is it much further greater. away than you think? It's it much is? further away than yeah, I thought it was. I would agree with that. And not only is it much further away than I thought it was, but number of accidents and number of deaths on yeah. roads in America are a lot higher than I thought it would be. Wow. So, do you think that obviously correlation with social media and texting and driving and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. 
So what would your initial or your interest level be? Uh, it's actually like a lot more expensive now, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think people should look at it maybe 30%. But I would say but you like the appraisal business, is wrong. Right? I'd say that it sh- I should have appraised it higher than I did. Cool. Prosperity Bank Shares. Mm-hmm. PB. 62, you are currently trading at $62.18. Okay. You wrote about it at $45.21. Okay. And you appraise it at $99.69. So another bank stock. Another bank stock, another Texas bank stock. That's correct. Prosperity and uh, Frost basically just do business in Texas. So that's the number one, Prosperity. And number two, uh, Frost-sized uh, banks in Texas. Um, what do you like more? I just said that wrong. It was the reverse. Frost is the biggest and Prosperity is the second biggest, but whatever. Um, hey, man, we're, we're rolling. We're keeping it rolling. <laughs> so uh, Prosperity, I don't like as much as Frost just because it depends more on the management. So Prosperity acquires things and then uh, slashes costs and uh, uh, takes out some riskier loans. I, I'd say takes out. It, so it's it like the valiant risk. of uh, banks, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's like the valiant <laughs> of banks. Uh, it, I think it's... It's the opposite of that. Actually, it's you know what it's a lot very very similar to is when um, when Jamie Dimon was working for Sandy Weil at um, City. Okay. Uh, when they built up Citigroup, uh-huh. uh, if you ever read about the history of that, not at the later stages where they were doing the uh, financial services supermarket sort of thing, but when they're actually doing the banking side of things, uh, there's some book about it. I don't remember the name. That's pretty good that way, and it, it's pretty similar. They would just t- uh, take over in the slash costs and things, and that's what they do here. Um, and we tell some stories about it in the report and stuff. We were able to find about um, the CFO actually there, uh, how they save on costs and things and <laughs> some of the things there. So they, t- they take over bank and then they definitely cut expenses a lot. It doesn't have particularly high um, deposits per branch or customer service or anything like frost does. It goes the opposite way. It's in sometimes um, some of them are more rural parts of the state, though not necessarily um, in general that that's not really the strategy, but they take over bank. Um, they cut costs, especially with anything that doesn't have to do with the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the banks they take over maybe um, might have a little fat and stuff and they cut that out. And then they also um, get their their loan losses and their yields are better than Frost. They definitely are a better lender historically than Frost has been. Frost is not that strong. Not that, I don't want to say not that strong, but they're not that aggressive on pushing that. Um, so it's a very different, I mean, they're two Texas banks, so you'd think that I'm sure. picking them because there's some similarity, but they're almost completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Got I'd it. say they're totally different strategies. So what would your interest level be? Mm, hi. Uh, what did I say for Bank of Hawaii? I don't even know. 70% maybe? Did I say think? 80%, 70%? Something like okay. that, higher than, yeah. Yeah, I think 80% I said for Bank of Hawaii, let's say. And I said 100% for Frost? Uh, Yeah. You said you would buy it today. All right, let's say 70% for Prosperity. Okay. All righty. All righty, next one. A stock that we actually were just talking about in our ride over to the office. Okay. Tandy Leather Factory. Tandy Leather Factory. TLF. Okay. You, it's currently trading at $7.32. Mm-hmm. You wrote about it at $8.64. Right. And you appraise it at fourteen dollars and fifty cents. Okay. And Fintwit's uh, dear chairman. Yes. He is the chairman okay. of the company. Yeah. And um, you were just in a Tandy leather factory store. I was. Yeah. So um, Tandy is probably trading right now close to price to book, and book is almost all current assets. And we talked about this on a podcast. Yep. Uh, so we talked about Tandy. So you can go look in our archives for that. Um, it's a the dominant company in leather crafting uh retail stuff by far it's where people buy their leather and uh accessories related to that their leather's low margin their accessories are high margin 
Um, they're 10, I mean, very conservatively 10 times the size of their largest, their nearest competitor and more like a hundred times the size of most competitors. Um, so they're basically all that there is. Yeah. They are the category killer in, um, leather. And, uh, the interesting thing is that right, you know, what we were talking about uh, in the ride is, um, the CEO and the president were removed. And they've the been CEO for a very long time, right? No, no, no. The CEO has only been for a short time. Okay. Uh, but it had been with the company for a long time. Got it. Yeah, yeah, definitely insiders. And they brought in someone who was not associated with Tandy previously, which is unusual. Tandy, historically, all their executives basically have um, come from Tandy or the leather factory, the two parts that created it. And so we have, uh, as you said, the chairman there owns 30% of the company. And um, presumably that had something to had something to do with that decision. Sure, yeah. So what would your interest level be? Um, take your time. I'm going to say 60%. Okay. Because is that post everything that's happened? Yes, post everything. Because what would it have been before that? Probably 60%. Okay. Because here's the thing. There's a catalyst that's exciting. Everyone's going to get excited about yeah, it because sure. you have someone who's very, um, who wrote a book about shareholder activism, who owns 30% of the company. You've just replaced two of the people. Uh, at the the two t- most senior people at the company and all that sort of thing. But on the other hand, you're bringing in people who aren't in that industry and it's a retail thing to turn around. I mean, it could go, sure. it could go worse yeah, than, sure. than better, um, to be honest. And historically, they have had problems. Uh, they've had the most success when they've had people who have long been in leather crafting stuff. So, um, yeah, that's what I would say. It's a very cheap stock, very cheap stock, mm-hmm. but it hasn't had any same store sales growth for several years. Um, Gross margins have been incredibly stable, right? Yeah, for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, and and have increased a little bit actually because most of the sales that they've lost recently, I think, have been uh, leather sales, not not um, accessory sales, which is the high gross margin part. I don't know. Maybe I underestimated to say sixty percent. Um, it's more of a Ben Graham type stock. I think it's you know we'll see what happens. I, I don't know what's going to happen to improve the situation. Um, but it's very cheap stock, yeah. Sure. So I'd follow it, and if it gets below book value, or it gets to be a net, and I would say, I would buy it if it was a net, and it's probably getting off pretty close. close to that, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Next one, another watch company, Swatch. Okay. Ticker UHR. Now, where's this traded? Uh, that trades in uh, Switzerland, and uh, it's trading in Switzerland. I don't okay. remember. Okay. Yeah. Current price three hundred nineteen. You wrote about it at three hundred eighty-seven, and you appraise it at six hundred sixteen. Yeah, and there's a Swiss, Swiss franc, Frank, right? CHF, yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, so they're the the big Swiss watch company. Yeah. The biggest thing is that they make the basically the guts of all sorts of Swiss watches come from them. So even other companies that make Swiss watches usually buy the parts that they need for those watches from them, uh, things like movements and stuff that they have from them. Um, and, uh, and more than that, I think even like the complications they have. So it's... Um, my first watch was actually a Swatch. Swatch, yeah. yeah. So the, it's a big brand in the U.S. It's yeah. a very low-end uh, Swatch uh, brand name. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the Swatch, um, uh, I guess starting in the 80s or so, they started doing things like making them colorful watches and selling selling them in the U.S. that way with a lot of marketing behind them and yeah. things like that. Um, overall, the company gets very, very few sales from the U.S. It's very heavily weighted towards places like China and very heavily weighted towards super expensive watches. Um so there's a bunch of different brands um, that you would recognize uh, and it competes pretty much uh, head to head with like Rolex Got it. Their yeah. brands. Yeah. Most of their brands do. I mean, they have a range of brands, but so much of their sales in terms of the, 
Um, dollar amounts come from the really luxury stuff. Uh, it's one I never liked as much um, because it was tied so much to China and so much to really high-end stuff. So really emerging markets and really high-end prices. Um, you know. So what would your interest level be today? Nothing. I mean, you just 20%. said before that, yeah, you don't really like the watch industry. Yeah. Okay. Next one, the restaurant group, ticker RTN, current price, 383 pence. Okay. You wrote about it at, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me, 283 pence. Okay. You wrote about it at 325 pence mm-hmm. and you appraise it at 698 pence. Okay. So this is a company in the UK that is doing um, uh, casual dining, like um, full service casual dining stuff. Um uh, so the same sort of thing as like Cheesecake Factory and yeah. stuff, but in the UK copying um, sort of American concepts. So they have one that in general trying to copy the approach that the U.S. used in uh, these sorts of chains like um, Applebee's and Chili's and those sorts of things over the last 30 years or so and trying to kind of copy that same thing. It's a very fast growing segment in the UK um, because they didn't really have that as much. Um, they had some fast food and they had more independent restaurants. They didn't have a lot of these chains of those casual sorts of things. Um, I don't like the stock that much. Uh, like I find it, uh, very, uh, risky potentially Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Very high competition levels. When we looked at it, um, there were just such fast growth in the number of these kinds of concepts growing all around it. And it's very hard for me to know the popularity of these things in the UK. So I would, that one's like a 0% for me. Okay. Town sports. Ticker CLUB. Mm-hmm. Current price is nine dollars and ten cents. You wrote about it at ten dollars and fifty cents, and you appraise it at thirty-seven dollars and eighty cents. That's an interesting one because the appraisal thing has to do with the leverage in it, as you could imagine. Uh-huh. Because we didn't pick that as one of our favorite stocks, and yet if you look at it, the appraisal is what three to four times higher. So yeah, it should sure. Be. Yeah, but that's because it leased all of its properties except for one, um, and the stock fell a lot uh, between and then recovered since we wrote about it, uh, similar to Weight Watchers. Um, it, it had a property that was very valuable, a building in New York City that it owned the whole building, um, and then it only occupied one floor. And it's good that they did because if it wasn't for that fact, I'm not sure if the company would have survived a tough time. Um, we you know, looked at that and said that was valuable. And um, it it's a, runs gyms in places like especially New York City, but also New York City, Boston, Philadelphia, and especially in like Manhattan. Um, so it's hard to get a lot of gym location stuff. But what happened was a shift in um, tastes of people where they wanted more um, studios that were driven by one sort of exercise thing and switching back and forth from different things. So like they would want to go to a spin class that was just spin stuff, right? Yeah. And that became popular. Sure. And um, they they switched very quickly from those things. It was a trend that was really bad uh, after uh, around the time they were writing about the stock and uh, affected the company badly. And um, it since recovered from them in terms of the stock price and stuff. But I'd say it's very risky, that sort of thing. And it's not one that would rank highly. I don't know, 0% probably. Cool. Next one, stock that we actually just referenced in uh, two podcasts ago, Village Supermarket, okay. ticker VLGEA. I also tweeted out the report, okay. so maybe I'll do that again for the show. All right, sure. Um, it is currently trading at $25.16. You wrote about it at $25.07, and you'd appraise it at $38.02. Yeah, so Village is a stock that I actually owned myself a very long time ago, uh, and I worked there 
uh, one of their stores. Uh, Village is a member of the Wakefern Co-op, which is um, the Shoprite um, brand of supermarkets in Shoprite Banner in the uh, primarily New Jersey area. I mean, the, this company is all in New Jersey except they have a couple stores in Maryland. Um, and uh, you know, it's I don't remember the exact amount if they own seventeen percent something in that area of Wakefern. Um, and they have very large format stores, 60 to 70,000 square feet, um, in different places in, especially in Northern New Jersey, which is where I grew up. Um, and it's very space constrained in those sorts of places. And the, um, you know, the, the su- these supermarkets are the highest return on capital of any supermarkets. Yeah. And that's what Peter Rabover yeah. of Artco Capital, cause he owns it. And that's why we were talking about it in that interview with him. Cause he said he was just doing a, an ROIC screen mm-hmm. and he saw that they had like the highest returns on uh, yeah. invested capital. And that's what sort of piqued interest with him. Absolutely. Yeah. And they'll benefit, they are benefiting a lot now because of the um, tax cut, because they pay very high taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, the highest that I'd ever seen. I think, I think on average they paid about 41% in taxes. Wow. Yeah. Is that because they were New in Jersey New Jersey? Taxes yeah. And, and um, the federal tax was 35. Yeah. And when you have a store, it's it's very hard to avoid taxes. Sure. So, um, yeah. So, you know, it, it's it's interesting stock. It's attractive stock. I think um, read that report. It'll be up there free, you said. Yep. I'll turn and it uh, actually, I've read um, Peter's report, too. So oh, really? So he actually I don't wrote know a... if you could get, uh, get your hands on it, okay. but I have okay. read it, so... Uh, you could talk to him about that. Yeah, maybe um, maybe I'll do that. Yeah, but I thought it was a good report um, and shorter than mine, so <laughs> and cover many of the same points. Sure. So the points are kind of boring and complicated for here, but um, Wakefern is a co-op they own part of, and you what happens is they own part of their um, they keep money at Wakefern that owns below um, market rates of interest, but then they also get this patronage dividend that's sent to them, which basically is like a rebate. So what you do is all the money that Wakefern makes for um, they just distribute to the members of the co-op. So it's sort of like, I don't know how you'd explain it exactly, like a mutual uh, bank or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, what's happening is that the the um, Wakefront can make money during the year, but it basically rebates it all to you. So that lowers your cost of your goods and things like that. Um, so it's a way for them to be a smaller operator of stores and yet have all the advantages like a Kroger or something in terms of buying power and stuff. Sure. Wakefront is probably the biggest employer in New Jersey. It has a huge truck fleet. It has lots of warehouses. It has lots of people working there. So, um, so it's you know it's a very big business that way. So um, this is very under leveraged and earns high returns on capital. You could definitely own it. Also, the one thing I would say is um, there are A and B shares, and the A shares um, are the ones that the non-family members own, and you won't be able to vote to get um, control of the company and stuff. That's with the B shares. But the A shares always have to be paid a higher dividend than the B shares. So when you see things on um, websites and things, they always just add the A and B shares together saying as if they have the same economic rights. Okay, But the truth is that the A shares have to be worth more than the B shares because the A shares always get higher dividends. And if this company is just going to pay dividends forever then you will get more money. Sure. Now, if they were going to sell out tomorrow, then both company, then both shares of are entitled to the same uh, amount in, in a buyout or in liquidation or something like that. But actually, the people, the valuation metrics and things that you see always underestimate the uh, how cheap the company is because you're buying the A shares and the A shares have to be paid higher dividends than the B shares, which is unusual and interesting because, of course, the family controls the B shares and yet they get lower dividends. Mm-hmm. But that's the way it's set up. So what would your interest level be today? 
Yeah, I think Peter said. Is that his biggest position? He said. No, I don't. I don't want to quote that, but I know he said that. Okay. He owns it, so maybe I shouldn't quote. Yeah. That. <laughs> um, next one. Was, we've talked about this one a lot. Okay. Do you know which one it is? Is it Weight Watchers? It's Weight Watchers. Yeah. We said we're gonna bear the hatchet. Never talk right, about it ever again. But we're we're talking about it. WTW mm-hmm. current price sixty five dollars and thirty one cents. Okay. Um, you wrote about it at thirty two dollars and twelve cents. And you appraise it at sixty-three dollars and forty cents. Perfect. There, we're done. Yeah, we don't need the <laughs> Saudi. We don't need to talk about it yeah. anymore. So thirty-two. They don't know. It went to sixty-five dollars. That's what I said it would go to. That's basically. right. So <laughs> a perfect. Uh, perfect. You held rate. it right. Mm-hmm, and I yeah. Held it the whole way. Yeah. yeah. Um, no. So, that was a wild ride. Yeah. 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 So it dropped, um, and it had already dropped from eighty something down to thirty something. Yeah. Uh, before we wrote about it, and then we wrote about it, and then it dropped to about four dollars a share. And then I sold it at, I don't remember exactly, 17 or something like that. Um, that was a stock where a lot of other people that took your advice made yeah. money and you didn't on it, right? That's correct. Yeah. And you, some people said that. And yeah. some people lost money. Yeah. Uh, lost more money and stuff too. But yeah, some people made a lot of money on it. Yeah. Um, the best that I know about that, I know someone who made 10 times their money on it. Wow. Yeah. So. Did you um, buy a bottle of wine or champagne or something? No, but mention me. So. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So. The situation sort of changed with that, with Oprah buying up a huge company. Obviously, you didn't foresee that happening. Now, Oprah made a lot of money on that. One. Yeah, she made a killing yeah, on that. Yeah, look at that with the options. We've talked about that. How much do you think she? You estimated she made? Uh, we talked more like close to the peak, but she made a huge amount. Yeah, I don't know like a mean. large part of her net worth. I think so. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't sure how rich she was in terms of like if she was already well over a billion, but I don't. But yeah, you know, yeah, she made a lot of money. She yeah, she definitely made a lot of money. Do you have any interest in that stock right now? Um, at today's price and stuff, no, I don't. Um, yeah, I'm not sure that I would go back to that kind of business. It's similar to town sports that way. The big problem that it has, um, is that it doesn't have very high um, retention rate. It has very high attrition rates. Now people come back to it eventually, but the average person was only staying on that for about nine months, which probably doesn't surprise you that someone would only stay on diet for. Nine yeah. Yeah. But, um, but that's the problem. And so it's like two days. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a reason why the best performing, um, uh, industry group yeah. in the last hundred some years is tobacco. Uh, and probably not a very good performing industry group would be weight loss stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because the number of people who say they're going to quit, um, cigarettes and don't <laughs> is really high. And the number of people who say that they're going to stick yeah. with the diet and don't is really high. Sure. So they're opposites that way. Um, Weight Watchers is huge in the industry. It does lots of things that I like about it. Um, it's just that, you know, like town sports, I don't think that I would, I think it'd be very hard for me to buy a gym again. I think it'd be very hard for me to buy that kind of company again in terms of just the, um, the retention rates, yeah. things like that. I mean, we haven't talked too much about what stocks are in the managed accounts, but for the managed accounts we have, there are five stocks right now, and three of them, honestly, get 80 90% plus of their revenue and their profit and all that stuff from something where the retention rates are 80 90% or plus, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. often nearly perfect retention rates. And the other ones have to do with assets. So what we don't own is a lot of things that uh, have to get a lot of new customers each year. Yeah. And what Weight Watchers has to do is do a huge amount of marketing to bring in customers just to replace their lost customers. And that's what gyms have to do too. And I just learned over time that that's something that I don't want to be in in trying to predict the effectiveness of marketing. Yeah. Right. And I wrote a whole post on um, in on investing about how much Amazon might be worth. And the point of the post was that Amazon and Costco are worth – are such different businesses than other retailers 
because of how high their retention rates are for their members. Because Amazon has Prime members and Costco has the membership that they have. And I'm a member of both of those things. And it's just unlikely that you would cancel those things. And it's so different from something um, like what Weight Watchers has to do. If Amazon had to get 50 million um, customers next year signed yeah. up again to stay in place, mm-hmm. which is what they'd have to do if they were the same size, but they were like Weight Watchers, right? That's just so impossible to do. It's sure. so difficult to do. It takes so much advertising to do. And if you have a year without a lot of buzz, and that's what happened. And if I had paid more attention to like what happened when there was the Atkins diet and how badly that hurt them. Um, so there's a lot of things, you know, like... Um, uh, apps and things sure. that happened right around the time that we were uh, recommending the company and people got really excited with them. Now they use them and then they stopped using them and they went back to Weight Watchers. Yeah. But in the meantime, that caused the stock to drop down to such a low level and then uh, raise, uh, rise back up since then. It's very heavily leveraged. It's always been operated like an LBO. Yeah. So if you want to get more information on that more in detail, you yeah. could go read or listen to the old um, Weight Watchers podcast. I don't right. mean it was Definitely like what, probably 20, episode 20 to 30, like somewhere that. in there. Yeah, let's see. We did a Frost one, yep. a Tandy one, yep, an Omnicom one, Breeze Eastern, Breeze Eastern one, and we did Weight Watchers. Yes. There we go. Yes, yes. Yeah. So you can go there if you want to um, to listen to that. Okay, last one, Granger. I didn't give an interest level on that. Oh, okay. Sorry. Interest level. Mm, 20. Yeah, I knew it was going to be like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, next one, Granger. Yeah, and this one I wrote up again for Focus Compact. Yes, we haven't always mentioned that when I wrote one up again. Sometimes I revisit it. Mm-hmm. Carmart G- and Granger. I did. G W W. Current price, two hundred seventy three dollars and ninety nine cents. Um, you wrote about it at two hundred twenty nine dollars and thirteen cents, and you appraised it at two hundred sixty eight dollars and ninety four cents. So sort of by where it's currently trading. Okay. Um. So what do they do? Okay, so Granger is like I said an MRO. Um, Grange is a little different though. Their biggest market is really, really big, um, businesses. And so they get a national contract for a lot of these and then they supply a site under that national contract. So they sign up, um, I think an example I gave is like they sign up Marriott or something and then they, um, try to under that contract supply each, uh, individual location, um, uh, with that. So that's their biggest um, area by far and they do sell to smaller businesses and things but so much less of that mm-hmm. now after we wrote them up they changed some of those things to become more transparent on pricing and to compete more directly online and I think that'll get them to grow with um, small businesses more mm-hmm. um, overall they'll probably have lower prices and higher volume in the future um, I think some people underestimate that and I wrote about the stock again because the stock really plunged um, when they made that announcement that they were basically going to be more transparent on pricing which meant cutting prices and they thought that they could get volume increases on that. A lot of um, like analysts and investors and think I think uh, didn't really buy that but I think it worked out fine for them. And um, yeah because when we wrote up, I wrote it up again on Focus Compounding and I think that was af- around that time that they dropped a lot. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah it's a good company. It's a really interesting business, uh, really interesting industry. Um, what would your interest level be? Probably 70%. Wow. It's definitely up there. Yeah. Even after this run, I guess you could say? It's kind of by where you appraised it at. No, uh, yeah. If you, I, I like did it. you reappraise it when you rewrote that post? Not really. No. I didn't think that it would change things a lot. Yeah. Um, it temporarily brought things down. Um, you know, but there, remember there was also the tax change. So that affects the, my appraisal. So it's actually cheaper than it looks like on that basis. It's very much a U.S. company. It, it has an operations in, uh, in Europe that it bought, but it also owns a publicly traded company in Japan. 
Um, the business has changed a little bit. Uh, a big fear is, you know, competing with Amazon and things like sure. that, obviously. Yeah. yeah. But like I said, yeah, I think 70% or so is a pretty high interest level. Cool. Well, we just went through, what's this, 28 companies? Is it that many? Or 26, something like that. Okay, 26. And um, they are all available on the Focus Compounding website. And they're all 10,000 plus words. 10,000 plus. So it could take you as much time as this podcast. And you want to know something funny, guys? Jeff didn't know that we we're going to talk about this today. So he had no time to prep. So he just went through all that from what? <laughs> 2013 to 2016 and yeah that's true right from the right off the cuff so Mm -hmm. So that's why i don't know if roster prosperity is the biggest magnet (laughs) so if you want to now that was great so if you want to get access to all these reports sign up and if you want to sign up go to focus compounding i'm going to tweet out a couple i think with the show um which will be great but well we should certainly give away samples with lifetime fitness and um yeah because yeah i'll do that taken private yeah okay that's a that's a good idea people at least know what the reports look sure yeah yeah that is a, a great idea i will do that so um other than that thank you very much to everyone for tuning in we just a couple housekeeping jeff writes on his old blog gannon on investing.com yes. he'll put like half of the report on there and then the other half on focus compounding right. but you could still get a lot of information on there so if you do want to um read free information you yeah. could go there we are going to add a free section on our website as well though okay um that's sort of in the making with our computer guy uh, so be expecting that um for the next couple episodes we do have a lot of interesting people lined up mm-hmm. um i think the format we're going to do is have a guest on and then have sort of where it's just jeff and i talking yeah, um sort of alternate weeks but we'll just kind of see the flow of it but um again Thank you so much to everyone from for listening. If you do want to help us out here, feel free to give us a rating review and subscribe on iTunes, uh, the podcast app. That is mm-hmm. how, I guess, it spreads the word. And other than that, I think we're good. What yeah, about you? you got anything, anything to add? Yeah, the, you can um, sign up for my memo. So you get a weekly memo. So if you go to focuscombining.com, you put your email in the email box, and uh, you put that address in there, and then every week you'll get what's basically a blog post in your inbox on uh, Monday mornings now. Cool. It works for me. Works good. So thank you everybody so much for tuning in. Have a great rest of your week and we'll see you next Wednesday. Take care. Hey, this is Jeff Gannon and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. If you want to know more about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompounding.com where you can read stock ideas written by me and other members. Membership costs $60 a month, but if you use the promo code podcast, it'll be $50 a month for you. Andrew and I also manage accounts for investors. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscombating.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. That's 469-207-5844. Thanks for listening.